0: Have you ever wondered why you're not making a podcast? Maybe because you think it's too hard. Well, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. First of all, it's free, and there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I mean, you're immediately in the podcast game, You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So right now, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Just go to anchor.fm and join me on Anchor. Broadcasting from the heart of Cascadia and the Edge of the World. Welcome to Night Drift. Presented by UFOMat. I'm your host, Jim Perry. It's Monday, April 20th, 2020. Tonight we speak with Andre Cardoso. His podcast explores CE5, a technique to create close encounters of the fifth kind. Contact with ETs. But first, Oracle, Jennifer Sodini, joins us. How is isolation shaping our lives, and what can we learn about ourselves in this trying time? But first, I wanted to thank you all for listening to these bonus shows, and I hope they're connecting while we're all stuck in this together. Editing is proceeding on more episodes of Euphemet, so look for that soon. But also, I'm completing a childhood dream this weekend. Saturday, April 25th, I am a guest on Coast to Coast AM. As of two years ago last week, Art Bell left his mortal coil. And I'll never get to thank Art in person for being the soundtrack for A Sleepless Kid, but I will try and honor that as a guest while in the house he built. I'm honored to have been invited by the great broadcaster Richard Serrett, and hope you'll join us live this Saturday night. It's because of you I'm getting to live in this dream, so I can't thank you enough for that. All right, let's jump right into it. Jennifer Sodini, next on Night Drift.
1: With the lens of the artist, that's when you can see the patterns. And you like, aha, all right, now I'm following this breadcrumb here, and it's leading me here. And, you know, if everything is connected, then everything is connected. <laughs> Right. (laughs) That's it.
0: You're right. So, we are here on Night Drift and we're talking to my friend Jennifer Sodini. She is an oracle, she's a creative entrepreneur. She has a great oracle deck called Amenti Oracle and a podcast with a similar name, Radio Amenti. Jennifer, I wonder if you could just sort of introduce yourself to the Night Drift audience. I'm sure plenty of them have heard you featured in episode 11 of Euphomet sacred mountain and your journey there. But can you describe a little bit about yourself and what is an oracle? Yeah.
1: So hello, night drifters. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, I, I'm Jennifer Soudini. Um, I am a lifelong student of invisible worlds. Um, my grandmother was my great teacher who initiated me into looking at the occults, and mainly a lot the synthesis of the occult and art. You know, in her living room, there was Hieronymus Basha's Garden of Earthly Delights alongside uh, Goya Saturn devouring his son. (laughs) Very comforting paintings, but (laughs) um, (laughs) they definitely taught me to look beyond. But beyond that, you know, I've always been a highly, highly intuitive Person as a child, dreaming things that would come true, um, just hyper hyper psychic. And my grandmother really nurtured that. So um, I say psychic, I actually probably shouldn't even use that word because there is a difference between a psychic and an oracle. So to explain that a little more, if you've seen The Matrix and you uh, remember this scene, or if you haven't seen it, there is a scene in The Matrix where Neo visits the oracle and he's in her kitchen, and above the kitchen door, there's a sign that says temet nase, which means know thyself. So in order to know yourself, you have to look deep within the realms of consciousness and spirit that exist within you, and that is not a linear process. So an oracle speaks in riddles, an oracle speaks in dreams, an oracle speaks, Decode synchronicity as it comes. Um, Our relationship to time is a lot different. Whereas, you know, if you if you are a psychic and you're getting these downloads right in the moment, revelations through an oracle seem to unfold over time. Um, Mm -hmm. I shared with Jim. You know, I spent some time exploring my gifts in the summer of 2014 in a different medium through channeling. And during that time, I actually received a lot of information about 2019 and 2020. And at the time, I really had to sit with it. So, you know, as an oracle, it takes sometimes five, six years for the breadcrumb to unfold as it is. Um, So, yeah, it's it's a really interesting level of consciousness to operate with in these times. Um, I hope that makes sense.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, visually, I always, I don't know, I sort of get this picture of you being amongst sort of two walls of space and time being attached by spider webs. Mm, I love that. And these strings, they they sort of pull and pop as you move about that space. But there's something so informative about how those things are pulling and popping around you as you move through that field. Completely. That's such a perfect visual. And it's, it's, it's interesting to me, your relationship with the occult and art, uh, knowing your style and anyone that follows your work, it's clear to see that art is a huge uh, tool that you use to communicate these messages, whether it's through your Instagram or the work you produce and the content you create yourself. Why do you think art is so important to this process of digging deep into the unknown and looking beyond?
1: Because I think, how do I put this? There's something alchemical about art Uh, and in that alchemy, it transcends language. You know, they say, what numbers are universal languages, a universal language? It doesn't matter what what language you speak. Math is is undeniable, right? So if you look at if math is the language of the left brain, then art is the language of the right brain because art is evocative of feeling, of understanding something that doesn't require. Words to to understand it's that moment where you see it you feel it you say aha now I get it because I think many can attest to this wherever you fall on the spectrum of spirituality or seeking nobody likes being told what to do or how to do it. And oftentimes we could find ourselves in moments where somebody says, oh, read this book or read that book. And you're like, eh, no, I I don't, I don't really want to do that. But then you see something.
0: (laughs) Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Do you say no? Because I never say no. I say, yeah, I'll check it out.
1: I say, yeah, I'll check it out. In my mind, I'm going, eh, no. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. Go ahead. No, no apologies. Uh, It's good to be honest. But then, you know, you could see a painting like Helma af Klimt, um, her exhibit, you say, oh my God, I get this. I've dreamed this. And how do you put a dream to words? How do you put uh, color into words? You know, um, art transcends language. And that to me, you know, in thinking of terms of spirit as this infinite, indivisible, and in, invisible how can you even put a word to something so grand? Mm-hmm. So that's why art, um, it's just these little flickerings
0: of the aha, I guess I would say. <laughs> yes. Well, and you mentioned looking beyond, and I wonder during this time where I think many are doing just that, they're looking beyond this pandemic. They're looking beyond what their own sense of reality and time and worth Really is. With so many looking beyond right now, do you have any, I don't know, suggestions for tools that folks can use to help them divine something or learn some insight or gain some feeling about why all of this matters and why they matter?
1: Well, um, so not to speak in cliches, but something I've actually loved that. A lot of people keep saying, because we're in quarantine times, is that if you can't go outside, go inside so
2: uh,
0: yeah right
1: <laughs> um and I think there's a a push pull to things, right? I think that it's equally important to go beyond as it is to go within, so when you start exploring your mind through meditation, through dream work, through uh even you know, you don't have to be, let alone an, an artist, right? If you just maybe practice through creative expression, writing ideas, it unlocks a level of consciousness. Um, I really would suggest, especially now, you know, it's really important to look beyond yes. And to find the content that resonates most with you. But again, if everything is connected then everything connects and you can't discount the inherent wisdom that exists within you that you can access through meditation and dream work and Mm. knowing yourself.
0: Yeah. And what's interesting to me about your process is the inclusion of Oracle decks within your work. And I think for those uninitiated and including myself in this, can you explain a little bit about how a mentee first came into your life, but also the difference between an Oracle deck and something like a tarot deck.
1: Definitely. So there's a big difference. So tarot decks are the blueprint of the human soul into form. It's the major and minor arcana, which are a series of cards that compromise all the different elements and archetypes and various journeys that you'll go through as a human being. The cards are always the same, although the art may differ the traditional deck that seems to be most popular is the Rider Waite. Um, and tarot is a really great way of knowing yourself. It can, it's used for divination, of course, but if you look at it just as a way to archetypically understand yourself, there's real power in that. So while the tarot is a really specific system, oracle cards are more of the Rorschach or ink, inkblot test, if you will, of the subconscious mind. So an oracle deck can be on anything. You know, there are oracle decks on angels and unicorns. There are oracle decks based off of colors and crystals. There's oracles on anything. It's how you interpret it subjectively with your mind. And I probably why I really relate to it too is because it has that element of art, spirit, and alchemy through the mind. How do I read a story with right. a symbol? Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's, that's good. I tried to explain it to someone recently because I had an experience with your actual deck before I went out into Skinwalker Ranch. And oh, wow. one of the things I used this for was just sort of a greater sense of internal purpose or almost a reassurance. Now, I don't know if that is the correct way to use this tool. Mm-hmm. And being really one of the first times that I had used it, The idea was that there was a lot of pressure and fear around a trip to Skinwalker Ranch, and that was both internally and externally from those that I I spoke with, you know, it was a lot of be careful there, you know, go with the right intent, Uh, are you sure you want to go there? (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. You know, that creates a battle within yourself in a lot of different ways. You get pulled and pushed in a lot of different ways when dealing with the supernatural in this way. So I did. I pulled out the deck and I did a three card spread. And it was very insightful for me to work out essentially my own inner dialogue and face some of the fears that I had around this, both subjectively and objectively. And I was able to sort of go in with a more clear, concise intent into that situation. I think it really aided me in that situation. Do you feel that folks can use an Oracle deck for those purposes? Oh, definitely. It's a really great tool to use as kind of a barometer.
1: So, you know, what is, what are my thoughts putting out into the world? How can I direct my energy in a better way? Um, where, you know, kind of circling back as an oracle speaks more in abstractions and dreams and riddles or a psychic can see what's happening, you know, maybe a glimpse into the future, or that we work with time differently. But I tend to veer towards the idea that everything is malleable and shifts with our thoughts. So using a, a deck as a way to check in with your thoughts, say, okay, well, how can I recalibrate or how mm. can I sense what's going on in this moment better? It's really uh, guided by the questions that you ask it, and then it gives you the answers as you as you need in that moment.
0: You know, there's a lot of folks that will talk about mindfulness, and this seems like a really interesting and profound tool for just that. Completely,
1: even especially with a mentee, because a mentee is really. Um, affirmations, if you will. Right. So if you use it as a tool for meditation, say you want to pull a card and, and just have a, a deeper intention for your meditative practice or mindfulness practice, pulling a card and getting, I am peaceful, or I embrace the all it can serve as a mantra to help guide your day. And just an anchor point of awareness to remain mindful, even in moments where we may feel triggered or not want to be mindful at the time, you know?
0: Yeah. And folks can find your deck essentially anywhere, yeah?
1: Yeah, it's available everywhere books are sold. Um, with social distancing and quarantine times, the, the best way probably at the moment would be to go online um, through different retailers. So it's on Barnes & Nobles, Powell's, and Amazon. If you type in a Menti Oracle, you can be directed to the outlet that you best want to support to get the deck.
0: It's extremely well written, The the guidebook. Uh, incredibly illustrated by Natalie Miller. Yeah, mm, she's the best. Well, one talk- day we'll have to <laughs> talk about how you two met, and I, I plan on talking to Natalie as well yes. for the show. One of the things that we should talk about before we go into this next segment together with Andre Cardoso, and we delve into CE five, is the experience you and I had together in Joshua Tree. Yes, you can you describe what? <laughs> happened that night and in, in what we were up to? Yeah. So,
1: you know, you came to visit me while uh, I was co-hosting a retreat with our friends, uh, Tim and Gina. And we had this big expanse of a backyard and that's, we started talking about um, all the things and decided to try uh, some UFO hunting, <laughs> if you will. Yeah. And... <laughs> Um, I had the, uh, crop circle tones on my phone. So we spent the night, um, gazing and looking for, for objects unidentified.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And what was really interesting to me is if you remember, we were first out there and there was about three or four of us around the campfire and we were playing the tones and we were gazing and there began to start a feeling amongst the group, I believe, that whatever was happening, the process was at least, you know, sort of physically or mentally getting us into a state, right? Where like anything could be possible up there. Uh, As we proceeded, the group from inside started to come out. And as the group from outside started to come out, the frequency seemingly shifted and changed and morphed. And it was almost an interesting experience in resonance shifting, right? And how uh, the the energy of other people and of larger crowds can just change and shift your relationship with what energy is, essentially, and whatever contact could be. And I remember, you know, going kind of like, oh, man, like, I feel like we're <laughs> kind of like really there. And then, and then it, with the second thought, I go, Oh no, this is great. Now there's more people out here. If we can shift the energy back to how it was before with more people, maybe we have a shot of, of making some connection here, perhaps. And, you know, <laughs> as much as I don't like to carry a lot of expectations with connection and things of this nature and having seen enough already myself, I don't need to be proved anything. I'm already as confused as I can be. But <laughs> I think that's what I get so fascinated and interested to talk to Andre with you tonight is to learn more about Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind and this essentially this divination or contact uh, technique that can be used to have conversation with extraterrestrials. And these are tools, I don't know, that... You know, the next time we find ourselves out in the Joshua tree, some uh, Airbnb backyard, mm-hmm. could be tools that when paired with those crop, crop signal noises, what all could be possible after that?
1: Completely. Yeah. And just the like you had mentioned, when you can synchronize and be in a shared space of consciousness with a group that has a similar intention and be on that same wavelength, so many things are possible because you we you know in that experience we felt that little oh my gosh it's happening and then oh man
0: <laughs> <laughs> <It> did. <laughs> yes well we will be getting closer and closer to contact and just after this jen and i will speak with andre cardoso ambassador for ce5 and close encounters of the fifth kind after this on night drift
3: Hashtag Nightdrift, N I T E D R I F T, and share your thoughts with us on Twitter.
1: One of her maids in the Philippines was an Aswan. I felt like someone was choking me. I
4: looked up and I saw it and I looked right at him.
2: Nobody saw a single thing. And
4: there's such thing as evil spirits. I believe that. Those very people who don't believe in something end up getting bitten in the ass later on.
1: Hello believers, non-believers, and everyone in between. I'm Sapphire Sindalo, creator of the Something Scary web series and podcast, panelist on Travel Channel's Paranormal Caught on Camera, and now the host of Stories with Sapphire. It's a podcast where I share my personal exploration of paranormal phenomena through stories, interviews, and poems. New episodes every Wednesday, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also join me live every week on Twitch when I draw my episode thumbnail art. Head over to storieswithsapphire.com for more information. That's Sapphire, S-A-P-P-H-I-R-E. Salamat and good night.
3: Into the night. This is Jim Perry. You are listening to Night Drift, presented by Euphomet.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for joining us here tonight, Andre, on Night Drift. Where in the world are you calling us from tonight?
3: Well,
4: I'm calling from uh, a rural area just outside of Sydney, Australia, so it's not actually night for me. Um, It's late morning, Um, but yeah, that's where I am.
0: Yeah. How is your world right now over there?
4: Um. It's all right um i do I run a small business, um so things have really slowed down a lot um, it's just it's just a small family business, and um you know we're just doing as best as we can trying to make sure that uh we can keep going with our day to day and uh access all of the um, things that we need to to keep moving forward with our business yeah and um yeah, for the most part actually it's been Pretty nice staying at home and working in the garden and not going out too much and just spending some more time in nature. Um, yeah, it's actually been a bit of a breath of fresh air.
0: Yeah, like literally and figuratively, right? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely. something so incredibly nourishing about this time for those that are lucky enough to uh, kind of avoid some of the peril. Um, one, I mean, one question, you, you know, you don't sound Australian. Where, where are you from? How, how long have you been on, in Australia? So interesting.
4: Yeah. Um, so I grew up in California actually. Um, so that's where I lived for uh, the first, uh, about 20 years of my life. And, um, I've been in Australia now for five years. um, I've I bounced around a little bit here and there. I lived in Sweden for a few years, and uh, my life's taken a lot of twists and turns, um, to say the least.
0: Yeah, some of which I hope we get into here tonight. You know, I, I was first exposed to your work through your podcast, and I, I encourage everyone to check it out, and I'll ask you a little bit about that later on. Mm-hmm. But it's all about CE5. It's all about this technique for broader connection. And I, I'm just right. curious, how did you begin being interested in CE5?
4: Yeah, so I did um, record a whole episode covering my backstory, and that's all on my podcast. Um, it's just a little bit more in-depth to give you the, the short run of it, as short as I can. Um, I didn't really have much of an interest in the paranormal or ufos or anything um for for most of my life um i've I've always been someone who's uh interested in the non-physical aspects of our reality and uh how we just you know how we develop our relationship with the universe uh as individuals and as a collective of people Mm -hmm. on this planet at the um so, yeah. So to to say how I got into CE five, um, I saw something strange in the sky that I couldn't explain. As is how most people's stories, I think, start when they mm. get into um, the subject of UFOs and and the idea of extraterrestrial contact. Yeah. Um, I I found out what I saw was actually a glider that had. Uh, lights on it so it was man-made and um just it kind of jolted something in me though it kind of sparked a curiosity and I started looking online and trying to learn a little bit more about what was going on in the world in the in the world of UFOs and um because it wasn't something I thought about really since I was a kid and um I discovered a lot of really credible evidence to the um reality of uh the UFO phenomenon and um, and what appeared to be humans making contact with, with extraterrestrial intelligence. Um, So I discovered the disclosure project event. That was the kind of the tipping point for me when I uh, in 2001, there was a event at the national press club in Washington, DC, where they had uh, I think about a dozen military and uh, corporate witnesses to the, um, UFO subject. And, uh, they, they presented their own stories and their own evidence and it it made me, uh, realize just how real everything was. And, um, going into that, looking into, uh, Dr. Stephen Greer and his work with C-SETI and his work in bringing out the, these witnesses and collecting their testimony and everything, I discovered the, Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind initiative, um, which they've been working on since the early 90s, um, which basically is purporting to make contact with extraterrestrials that is initiated by us, by human beings. Um, And it seemed kind of far out to me when I first heard of it. I was like, okay, well, I mean is, I don't know. I was like, okay, I don't know how much to take this seriously. I mean, everything else that I've heard from Dr. Greer and, and, uh, and you know, all the stuff that he's done was like really grounded and really solid. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll get one of the books and see, um, see if I can learn a little bit about this and give it a try. Cause I mean, there's no, uh, there's nothing like giving it a go yourself and, and having personal experience sure. to um, to, you know, check what's, what's real and what's not and, and what, and what speaks to you. So I, um, I got one of the books is called Contact Countdown to Transformation. And that book, it's, it's basically a chronicle of all of the experiences that um, had that they've had in the C-SETI main group um, since the early nineties. It was about, I think from the period 1992 to 2009. And uh, I was just blown away by the, by the, the quality of the stories in the book and the um, just the genuineness of everybody who um, was speaking in that book and, and yeah. giving their perspective on all of the things that had happened and what the experience of CE five is like. And I was, so I, 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 you know, tried to do it myself and, and had contact and the rest is history.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, there is seemingly an extreme sincerity to those that have participated in CE5 and have gone down that rabbit hole and rabbit hole it is because seemingly there is a bridge that separates traditional you know, followers or believers or investigators in the extraterrestrial phenomenon. There is a bridge from that to becoming a participant in some Mm -hmm. sense. And for some, it's very stark. For some, it is a line in the sand. What -hmm. was that like for you to step across that line for the first time?
4: Yeah. Well, it, it really kind of put things into perspective and I had to come to terms with, you know, my own, like what I wanted, you know, like what I wanted out of life and like what I thought was possible. Um, I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it's really key that you brought that up, that there is a line, you know, between, you know, believing something is out there and, you know, and having experience, which is more passive where maybe you, you see a UFO and it's like, okay, it's like a a one-time thing in your life and you move on and you have this experience, but you don't have anything to do with that, you know? Right. Um, there's not like anybody, you know, and, and especially with the way that our culture is set up right now is that, you know, it's it's kind of a, it's still a, a bit of a taboo subject. People don't want to talk about it. Um, there's all There's all kinds of stuff out there that is that muddies the water. <laughs> it's not a very clear subject for people to understand um a lot of the time because of just how much garbage there is out there frankly. Yeah. Um and I I you know one of the things with CE5 is that you really you, it's a lot of you do a lot of self work. Um meditation is a big part of it and having you know getting with yourself on a spiritual level and on what it would actually mean to you to make contact with beings who have traveled light years to, you know, make contact with you. Um, it's a, it's a huge leap um from just going about your day-to-day life. And if you're just, you know, regular Joe, like, like I am. And like I was at that time when I first got into it, I was just a, a I was 20 or one years old and, um, a student and not really sure like where I was going in life, what my path was. And so this was like um a huge thing to step into. Um and I realized the gravity of it once um I started having my own experiences with it. Um it, it requires a lot of honest reflection within yourself about um how prepared you are to make mm. that leap. And what you ultimate, like basically what, what are your, what's your purpose in going into it? Um, what, what, what kind of relationship do you want to establish if you could establish one? Um, and how deep do you want that to go? Um, really the, the sky's the limit with, with how far you want to take a close encounter of the fifth kind and how, how, um, how much you want to keep doing it in the future and, and build relationships and build community around it with other people who are doing it as well, um, which has been a huge thing for me.
0: Yeah. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on right now is the timeliness of this. And mm-hmm. with the release of Stephen Greer's new film, Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind. It's a film that me and my friends, Oracle, Jennifer Sodini, watched. And I wanted to bring you in, Jen, to just share a little bit about your perspective as an oracle, as a you know practicing mystic, as a creative entrepreneur. How did that film and that process affect your understanding of connecting with extraterrestrials?
1: Well, funny enough, the film was sent to me by, um, I don't want to say He's my teacher. He's the leader of the study group that I've been in for the past few weeks, uh, which is a study group based around theosophy, but namely, in particular, the work of Alice A. Bailey. So Alice Bailey was a theosophist, but she branched off from H.P. Blavatsky, and she worked with a Tibetan master who she essentially channeled and came up with this compendium of work about how consciousness spreads from an atomic level upward. It's about the evolution of the soul. So my um, guide, as it will, (laughs) I guess that's a good word for it, he had emailed us saying you need to check out this documentary. And I, in 2012, was really deep into Stephen Greer's work. And then I had a really um, terrifying encounter with, um, something mysterious in the summer of 2014. So I took a pause, but revisiting it now and the way he framed it and just how beautifully it's done there. I think again, timely is a good word for it because, um, so much has to do with consciousness, right? And the evolution of our consciousness and Greer is tapping into the same well that these masters of consciousness through various
0: wisdom traditions have known for a very long time also. Yeah. On, on, Andre, how does that resonate with you in terms of the connection between channeled consciousness and some form of contact with extraterrestrials?
4: Um, well, I don't have much experience in, in the world of channeling as it is, um, but there is... A definite element where you create um, a direct kind of level of connection through consciousness, where you can communicate on that level, and um, and have things occur in real time. So I think there there is a uh, definitely a, a bridge and um, to a bridge between a whole def, a whole bunch of different aspects of um, spiritual practice and, um, experiences and non-human intelligence, um, that all kind of come up within the context of CE5. If you're, you know, if you know where to look, um, right. and, you know, a, a lot of the, the, the spiritual traditions and a lot of, uh, you know, more, more in more recent times, um, just in the last century, um, a lot of people who are doing studies in in non non local consciousness and in and in even in more metaphysical uh esoteric ideas, there there's always um uh some relationship with our star family, our star brothers and sisters, um the the star people who haven't ever been uh separate really from, from our own existence in this universe. I believe (laughs) it's, it's, um, really at this moment, I mean, we're at a crisis point on the planet with, with, uh, all kinds of apocalyptic scenarios. Um, and you know, we're going through a a very challenging time with this virus right now as well. Um, and I think we have a, a window of opportunity to, um, really use this chance to reconnect with uh, a presence that isn't really so far away.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because I think that that proximity to something that could hold a profound truth is one of the things that perhaps scares people away from experimenting on their own. And even those that have had a brushing of an experience Sometimes it's a little too real. Hmm. I myself had an experience several years ago where I do believe I unwillingly or uh, let's say unknowingly tapped into a CE5 and I went through the process. I didn't know it was the process, but, you know, prescriptive to the film, it is essentially the steps and process that one would take. And that single experience for me sent me off into. I was doing Brodies within my mind for a year and a half. I had a shattering. I had to try to wrap myself around what the implications of that truth could really be. How do you feel yeah. a certain situation like that, individuals collectively raising their consciousness together? What is a, what is a co- constructive way? that folks can be brought into this system of understanding and raise each other up.
4: I think it's in recognizing the limitations of a lot of our standard worldview at this time, um, collectively. Um, I think the way a lot of, you know, the mainstream and, um, just a lot of our culture is, is very fragmented in how it perceives, um, humans. Um, I think we're very caught up in materialism and, um, in this idea that, you know, I mean, if you look at film and television and books and stuff, a lot of things are just framed in a way that humans are the only intelligent life in, you know, that we know about. And, um, basically the world is our place to just, live and consume and die. Um, but I think that people deep down know that there's something really wrong with the way that things are and that, um, we are much more than, um, is let on a lot of the time.
0: Mm, Yeah.
4: So in terms of integrating that with groups, so, um, just connecting, going off of what you said about your own experience. Um, I think something that's really great about CE5 um, and it actually, it, it, it's more uh, there's often more contact and it, it's uh, more easy to process if you're doing it in a group. Um, we really get something from being with other people and being able to, or, you know, we're social animals. Um, we really feed off of each other and, um, learn from each other and give each other support. And, uh, and we get a feeling of safety. Um, there is a lot of fear attached with the subject of UFOs and the idea of the evil aliens and that this kind of thing. Um, but, um, it's something that we can process. It's something that we can work through. Um, it's something we have to, and there has to be this kind of shattering of a worldview, which really doesn't, put the whole picture into perspective. So if we do want to include more of the picture of reality in our day to day, a lot is going to have to shift a lot. I mean, um, you know, you have to go through um, challenges a lot of the time in order to have that breakthrough moment where you uh, step into your true power and your true, um, your true self. Um, It's, it, it's, been a huge thing for me um my life transformed a lot when I first got into this and um uh, I think there's the potential for a, a wide you know just for this to happen on a mass scale um with a with a lot of people
0: in in what ways did you experience your life changing afterwards
4: well um I think just before I was getting into the subject getting into c e five i um I was really struggling with pessimism and, um, with kind of how to deal with everything that I was learning about the world and about how kind of messed up, you know, we're living, um, with, you know, sustainability issues, climate change, um, political, just chaos, um, um, consumerism, um, just a, a lack of empathy between people. And, uh, you know, I was, there was a lot, there's a lot to, to be upset about in the world and it's very easy to feel, um, uh, put out by that. And like, you can't really do anything. Um, and so I think we kind of have two tendencies when we're facing, uh, a large crisis as we can, you know, work on how we can protect ourselves, you know, and, um, make sure we're stocked up with food in case of emergency and, um, kind of build a fortress around ourselves and, and, um, kind of draw back from the dangers of the world, which is really kind of what's happening right now with, with the virus and and things. And then we also have the other, um, thing that we kind of are drawn towards, which is how we can help the situation how we can help other people. Um, how we can transform, um, crises into opportunities for, um, progress and, and, um, and building a healthier life on this planet. So, um, balancing those two things was a big juggling act. And when I came into CE5, it was like, oh, okay. Um, I realized all of, you know, I realized that I could do a lot and that I didn't need to Um, cocoon myself away from the world's problems, but that I could actually really be proactive in a powerful way in connecting um, with a movement, which has the potential to transform life as we know it um, and help create a sustainable, peaceful civilization on earth where humanity is living in um, abundance and with New energy technologies, and where we have the potential to become extraterrestrial civilization ourselves, um, and uh, the opportunity is there if we open up to it, and that's really what CE5 taught me, um, and gave me really a, a sense of hope, and that's why, um, oops, that's why the first season of my podcast is Ambassadors of Hope, where I'm. Um, interviewing people who've had CE5 experiences and, um, really getting into that, um, that power, that, that power of love that comes through and, uh, the power of, um, of hope and of, um, potential. Yeah. Mm.
0: Well said. And I think the podcast really reflects that. I think it holds space for those stories and I've, I've been fascinated by it. But we'll be right back here on Night Drift, making contact, drifting further into the night together.
3: Listening to Night Drift, presented by Euphemet.
0: I wanted to bring Jennifer back into the conversation. And, you know, I noticed that earlier on, Andre had, well, he mentioned the word separation. And there was an audible reaction from both you and I in terms of something just happened profound there in terms of what he said, in terms of our relationship to the construct of where we live right now, perhaps. What about? That word (laughs) triggered you like the way it triggered me.
1: Separation. (laughs) I mean, there's so much, you know, I really relate to so much that Andre had shared, um, but it is strange. The juxtaposition between we're in this time of modern technology and connection you know, we have the, the availability to, for the three of us to have this conversation, right? Cross-continent, cross-time. But the way we treat one another, the way we interact with one another, it's, it's appalling. You know, like when you think to when the pandemic began and the behavior of people hoarding toilet paper and hoarding and mine, me, what, how can I look out for myself? That is the natural instinct of the human at a base level, is that animalistic survival nature. So, how do we transcend that?
0: <laughs> you know? And according to the documentary, and following Greer's work and, and reading his books and just paying attention to this movement, there is a belief seemingly that is put forward that raising our consciousness and vibration with our star families, these extraterrestrials, is a way that we can perhaps seek guidance or help or essentially just raise our level of awareness to each other and what we're doing in building these different communities. In what way, Andre, do you think that connecting with extraterrestrials, with making contact, makes us a better people? Essentially, what do you think that we get from it?
4: Well, it immediately puts things into perspective and it gives you the idea like, well, okay, um, there's a civilization out there that's able to traverse space and come and connect with us. Um, What is the future of humanity? Like, what direction are (laughs) we headed in? Are are we going in that direction? Are we going to be able to... um, you know, live in a way where um, like uh, Kaku has these um, stages of a civilization where there's like type one, type two, type three. Um, And we're not, you know, we're, we're at a type zero civilization right now where we're, you know, destroying the planet that we're living on. We're fighting with each other. We're um, not even, you know, there's people that are starving to death every day. Um, You know, (laughs) forget about coronavirus. There's people who still don't have enough to eat. Um and um so there's like it it's like um we see ourselves in relation to others um um on an individual level, just here on the planet earth with a uh, with other people, and then when we put things into a broader perspective and be like oh there there are people out there um from other planets who we have the potential to build a relationship with to you know we can learn about. We can like learn and grow and, um, and evolve even further than we are today. We don't have to be fighting over resources and, um, fighting over ideological belief structures that don't have any bearing on, um, our level of fulfillment and happiness anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, really our fulfillment and happiness comes from connection, um, and having that experience, a lot, you know, a lot of these extraterrestrials, they're, 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 you know, there's the sense that they're concerned about what's going on on this planet, um, and that they really care about um, how, you know, our ability to evolve and um, get to a level where we're able to be um, more on par with them um, spiritually and on a technological level, and where we can. Um, kind of engage in a, a greater work at hand than um yeah
0: Andre what, what are some of the incidents that have occurred that have demonstrated this fact that there is some I don't know consideration or care for how we're treating ourselves and the planet from the ETs
4: well um one of the most documented um aspects of the UFO phenomenon is that there have been uh, you know, that it seemed there was an uptick in UFO activity after we started detonating atomic bombs um, in the 1940s. And there have been a lot of sightings around atomic um, testing facilities and, um, and missile um, areas. Uh, And there have been, um, times when craft have actually shut down um, our uh, um, missile capacity. Yeah. I think that this, um, and and if you look at the um, uh, testimony of the people who were present at those um, events, a lot of them get the sense um, that that's kind of what was being communicated: is like you need to like like we need to not be launching missiles at each other um, because we could really mess things up um, for ourselves um, and get ourselves in a situation where it would be really hard to recover from um, as a species. Um, And it's, it's kind of a feeling that just comes through a lot of the time in CE5 that there's this um, abundance of, of care and, um, and concern um, and openness to, Connect with people who are ready um, to help build a bridge to um, more contact um, and the potential to to have more contact. You know, one thing is that um, it, it seems that the military approach to UFOs has been um, one of viewing um, extraterrestrial craft and, and beings as a threat primarily.
0: Yeah, let let's let's go let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk mm-hmm. about a definitive notion that is presented within Greer's work and I think that is adopted with the CE5 movement and the community that there are elites the military industrial complex for example that would rather us not maybe even have this ability or know of his, its existence to to what to, to protect their own interests mm-hmm.
4: yeah so yeah um that's that's my understanding is that you know there there are um some very deep interests um within certain circles and um in and and they have um these unacknowledged special access projects um which are involved in in uh, um, hiding technology hiding the fact that Um, you know, for a long time hiding um, the reality of UFOs in general and then, and then spinning um, the um, experiences that people have been having in a negative direction. And then also um, even staging um, scary uh, stage, stage abductions. Um, And so there's, there's like a whole bunch in there to chew on and to, try to, um, understand, um, it can be a bit complicated, but I think that, um, the way that Dr. Greer's presented it in his papers and in his books and, and, um, the recent films has been quite clear and it's easy to kind of, okay, you know, yeah, there is this, um, fear factor that's been really kind of pushed, um, and, um, when you think about the logic of it, it's like, okay, I mean, if, if there is a civilization coming to visit us, like what chance in hell do we have to fight them? You know, like if there was a, a threat. Um, so, uh, I think it's kind of foolish to think that we're going to, um, defend ourselves from, from some threat that ultimately is really, um, our ourselves, like we're the ones creating the threat. Um, Yeah
0: yeah some sort of reflection uh with with those in with those in power potentially um jen i don't need to include this in the show but i do want to ask your permission and get your impression of of this do you feel comfortable with sharing your story of what happened to you i do Okay.
1: I think it's I think it's uh a value to share particularly the um just to kind of um empower what Andre is saying about uh the juxtaposition between light and the density here. So I I'm, I'm happy to share it.
0: Well, p- please uh, I mean thank you so much. I mean I know it's uh... You know, listen. One of the things with 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 becoming your friend and 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 knowing you well is that it it seems like your relationship to two things of this nature, to whatever this is, uh, can't be separated from your own pursuits and your work. Seemingly, yeah. would I be off base about that? No. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's interwoven. I, and, you
1: know, I, I hate to say like destiny or fate, but I think back to even just, you know, in childhood that, you know, I felt such comfort in watching E.T. and communion was my favorite book when I was in like third grade and I was always drawn to this subject matter. So beyond even my experience with, um, you know, I've I've had other experiences of seeing anomalies in the sky, but when what happened to me in twenty fourteen happened. It was just um I don't know if it was something I had been preparing for or hoping for. And then when I got it, it was a lot to swallow. So can you, you know, can you take yeah. us
0: back to that night on the beach and and yeah. where you were at as a person and what you were feeling and then and then sort of sort of what transpired afterwards.
1: So in the summer of 2014, my ex-boyfriend was a tour manager for this really great band. um, And he had been touring all summer and he only had one little window of a break. So we decided to gather a group of friends and go down to the beach and just hang out uh, for the evening. So our plan was to just like have some beers on the beach, have a great time. We get to the beach and as soon as we get there, like two, two young cops come they're like, you can't have beer here. We got <laughs> tickets. <laughs> and they're like, you know, I was like, well, can we just stay and hang out then? And they said, sure. So we were hanging out. There was about seven, seven of us. Uh, and, you know, we were just laughing and having such a great time playing, talking life, all sorts of things. And that was when I was really heavy into Dr. Greer's work and I had the CE5 app on my phone. And I, the crop circle tones to me are very comforting to listen to, strangely. And I was explaining to everyone, you know, oh, this is this part of the thing, you know, check out crop circle tones. And I was kind of saying it in a irreverent way too, to be like, this is the thing. <laughs> so we're there laughing, very high vibration, playing crop circle tones. And we see two gigantic orbs appear in the sky. And we see them and the way that they're moving is almost, it almost felt like they were dancing for us. So there was two and it would move one way, one would move the other way. And we were all like, oh my God, do you see this? We're all just like, this is amazing. And it was going on for about 10 minutes. We all felt such joy and such, like it was just this beautiful, beautiful experience And then, of course, I go into talking about Dr. Greer saying, well, you know, they respond to higher consciousness and we're here in a very high vibrational setting. And, you know, I'm playing these tones, they clearly work. (laughs) And, you know, it felt so joyous and wonderful. But then the conversation shifted and somebody had asked about, well, aren't there different races of extraterrestrials? Aren't there like reptilians and stuff? And my ex-boyfriend went to talk about the fact that That was a thing. And as soon as he started talking about that, this one girl I was with and I look up and we see a gigantic black, somewhat translucent triangle silently hover over our heads and disappear into the horizon. And Mm -hmm. the terror that I felt, the terror that we felt, it sent a shockwave that reverberated through all of us. We packed up our stuff, ran off of the beach, like ran to my apartment and it was just... Unlike anything I had ever experienced, it was just the joy of the light and then the sheer terror that we felt from that triangle we saw. And of course, in my mind, I was thinking, oh my God, they're talking about reptilians. Do they summon a reptilian? You know, what is this? So, you know, then soon enough after that, my my ex had to leave to go back on tour and my right arm for weeks was shaking. I couldn't get Mm -hmm. it to stop shaking from the terror. And it wasn't until I had a meeting with actually Sean Stone, and I'm sure Sean would be fine with me sharing this too, because we've talked about it at length. And I explained my situation to him and his take on it was that the lights that we saw were benevolent. They were ETs, but the triangle was black budget government technology, wondering why we were calling them in. So
0: that's my story. Andre, how does, how does that resonate with you?
4: Well, um, yeah, I mean, we, let's see. I thank you so much for sharing. Um, that's, I think, I mean, I wasn't there, so I, and who knows what, what either of those things were. I mean, we don't have definitive proof anyway, but, um, uh, but I mean, you did have that experience and, um, i you know who's i'm not sure i mean it could have been a black budget um uh alien reproduction vehicle as they call an arv um or it could it could have been another et craft and then just for some reason the fear factor really set in you know and i mean we do have a lot of trauma collectively um um as humans uh so it, it wouldn't surprise me if it was if it was that also um just that you know we have a huge ability to psych ourselves you know to, to freak ourselves out um but um you know uh the you know personal experience is paramount so um yeah I, it could have been it could have, it could have, it could be a couple of different things yeah
0: well and mystics will speak of vibrations right and mm-hmm. and holding frequency and that's right Jin, i mean correct me if I'm wrong, but, but it seems as if, you know, especially being a person as you are, that it is, I would say, tapped in, even at that point in your life, it seems as if vibrationally there was something different about that black triangle that you just, it just felt so wrong, so different than what you were experiencing beforehand. Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. Completely. My intuition is my, my guidance system. You know, it's my my energy GPS, and when I saw the light, it I felt it. I felt that feeling that I've experienced in dream state, in meditation, that loving energy, and just this sense of awe. But the vibration of the triangle was very different. It was very cold. It was very just not not in the same frequency.
4: Yeah, it, can I jump in? yeah please um it's it's not uncommon for actually um for some um ce vivid events have actually been disrupted especially when when dr Greer is around um just because it seems like he's got some surveillance on him or some kind um but there has been disruption from 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 uh these uh, covert ops groups um it seems um where yeah you might be having an event happen and then something you know some other uh, either a jet or a helicopter, or maybe even an alien reproduction vehicle, like seems like it might have been the case um, with Jen here, um, would come in and kind of just shut the whole thing down because they don't want things to, wow. um, increase. They don't want the, you know, it, it seems like those, um, orbs that she saw, um, earlier on, um, you know, it might've set off some, some trigger on, um, on, uh, some radar or something that was like, okay, um, something's going on here and it's getting a little bit too um too beyond the point that uh the uh the uh black ops were comfortable with letting go on. So yeah, it that that could very well have happened.
1: Well it was strange too because after that the whole summer was filled with a lot of really strange phenomena. Mm-hmm. Um Jim, I I forgive me if I have haven't told you this or i have but about uh two or three days after it had happened and you know my my ex went back on tour i had an instance where i was in my apartment and i woke up and i was completely paralyzed and i heard people in my apartment and i couldn't move and i heard them talking about what i was reading and shuffling through my things and looking at my things i was completely paralyzed and it wasn't sleep paralysis it was i was awake I heard this, I couldn't move. And then uh, this was probably for about 20 minutes and then something tapped me on my shoulder and I regained mobility and was completely shaken up. And then a lot of other weird things started happening that still happen to this day. And you sit on the fence of it's like, is this recreational paranoia or is something really happening here?
0: Thank you for sharing that, Jen.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, I think that's the battle, right? I mean, there's an internal and an external battle, right? Uh, As above, so below. There is a relationship there between what we're feeling and how we're feeling about ourselves within the situation. And then what it is that we're actually experiencing. Mm -hmm. What actually sort of is interesting to me is this idea of the ultra-terrestrial and I'm Mm -hmm. not sure how much either of you have looked into the work of John Keel and some of these writers who have discussed the reflective ability seemingly of Mm. extraterrestrials, their crafts, and their presence. And it really having a relationship to our own state of being or perhaps a suggestion from them of something that we can relate to or integrate within ourselves. If that is the case, it does seem that the relationship aspect of this dynamic of a light and a dark energy and those that wouldn't want us to, you know, sort of possess this ability to definitely create a fear-based situation directly within the frame of reality that we're experiencing these things. But I guess one of the questions I want to get to with, with both of you is... Do you feel like in the past, based off of the airship flap of the 1800s, right? based on the, the popular belief of the flying saucer in the 1940s and the start of the modern UFO area? And now, really, what I'm reading from a lot of my UFO investigator cohorts and friends is the, the complete, essentially, takeover of these orbs, and especially during COVID. For example, the increase in the sightings of these orb-like activities really on the rise. Do you think there is something that we've experienced over millennia, over as long as we have record for, of this phenomenon tapping on our window, trying to say, listen, pay attention, here I am. Do you understand this? hundred percent. You, you've you seen that
1: painting from I think the medieval times where it's literally just orbs in the sky. Right. <laughs> and there's another one that's like it, another biblical painting where it literally looks like it's like Christ or something in a UFO. Um, if you even think back to the book of Enoch, I don't know if either of you have read that, but... Um, it's a great sci-fi book, <laughs> if anything else, <laughs> <laughs> but talking about, you know, even the fallen angels and things such as that. And that's the interesting thing to me in theosophy, you know, where they talk about the solar angel being the higher evolution from from the consciousness that we are. Um, there's something really interesting about the orb, orb presence that's been around for a very long time.
4: Mm. Yeah, it, it's not. I mean, everything that we're experiencing today, I don't think it's um, it's new. Um, and I think it is. Um, the The ETs often do uh, are very keen to present themselves in a way which is palatable, and which we can process, and which we can communicate. Um, and so, you know, how it's appeared in in um, in ancient texts and um, and up to now, it's we, we we present it. We present our own experiences with with these lights or, um, whatever experience we have, um, whether it's light or sound or experience in, in, um, actual, you know, physical sightings of, of, of craft or beings. Um, we, we, we put, we, we present it in a way which, um, I think can communicate it to other people. Um, you know, and that, that we feel like, um, other people will resonate with, That makes sense. Mm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Even I recently rewatched contact last night. Uh, I finished it. And I mean, the ending scenes are so powerful where Jodie Foster has contact and it's presented in a way that's comfortable to her. And um, yeah, I really, I really relate to that because it feels like even in dreams or any, any contact that you have with anything interdimensional, extraterrestrial, paranormal, there, there's a veneer that needs to be put on it. So you're not afraid.
4: Mm -hmm. And I think there's also a, a protective quality to grounding yourself in, in kind of higher, a higher state of being within yourself, um, and kind of your higher angels. Um, so when you are in that, in that flow state and when you, um, have, uh, a sense for what is universal and that, that kind of sense of universal consciousness that's awake within all of us and within everything. Um, It has this um, power to really um, give you strength and, um, and deal with um, whatever challenges or, um, or uh, uh, obstacles that are in the way for you.
0: Would you agree that even though, it's been described, the CE5, participating in it, performing it is easy for those that practice and with due diligence may have some form of contact. Would you agree, however, that with it comes a heightened sense of responsibility in terms of what to prepare themselves for? Should there be a process for for folks sort of preparing themselves, you know, to be spun out? <laughs> <laughs>
4: Uh, definitely. I think so. Um, uh, I think it is an easy thing to do and it, and it comes quite naturally and, you know, people have CE5s without even knowing what that word is. Um, you know, if you, if you see, you know, it's, it's happened multiple times where you see like, um, some kind of light or craft moving across the sky or something. And, um, people have, um, you know, kind of just with their thought asked it to do something or, you know, like, um, turn around or do something that a satellite wouldn't do. And then the, um, the craft responds and does, you know, whatever the thought said it for it to do, or, you know, or gave some kind of sign. Um, so that's like, that's a CE one where um, close encounter, of the first kind where you just, um, have a visible sighting, um, it's a CE one turning into a CE five. So, um, so it's not like you need to have some kind of, um, uh, higher understanding of it in order for it to happen or for it to, um, to work. Um, but if you do want to um, <laughs> it helps to be able to process it. If you um, at least um, are able to keep yourself in a calm state and to um, reflect on it in a way, which is healthy. And also if you want to engage, uh, in contact going, you know, that goes deeper um, that there are some prerequisites. I mean, there's a lot of literature out there and, and my podcast is um, I'm just trying to give people tools and information um, on uh, all of the different things that you can think about in going into this. Like there's a lot of practical stuff. Like if you're going to go out at night, you want to think about what kind of chair you're going to use and like um, making sure that you're, um, you know, doing things in a, in a good practical way and, um, how to organize together with a group and how to communicate with each other about the things that you're experiencing. Um, so there's, there's a whole education in it, but uh, do, taking the first step is, is, uh, is just that is the a first step. And, um, so I, I mean, I think it's a great thing for anybody to do. Um, I haven't had anything but positive experiences. And I think the more people that do it, the more, um, you know, the better it will get and the less chance there is of any, and you know, any um, covert ops, like trying to shut things down. There just simply isn't enough manpower to um, shut enough people doing this down.
0: Yeah. That's a, that's a lot of uh, ARV, right? Um, We're going to take a quick break right now. I need to ask you some more questions about just the fundamentals of this stuff. And we'll be back with Andre Cardoso and Jennifer. So,
3: Follow UVAMED on Spotify and subscribe on iTunes to receive new episodes of Night Drift automatically and gain access to all of our past episodes.
2: Hey everyone, this is your host, Chelsea Weber Smith, announcing American Hysteria's Season 3 premiere coming next Monday, February 17th. For the next several months, we're doing something just a little bit different. We're going to explore our most ingrained beliefs, delusions, and archetypes, how cognitive dissonance shapes our culture, and how our reality is created by the stories we tell especially the stories we tell ourselves. This means that we're diving into what I consider more long-term hysterias, the things we think and the things we do without thinking. We're covering some really interesting subjects this season, like the American symbol of the burger, the history of suburbia and its creepy qualities, archetypes like hipsters and rednecks, topics like masculinity and death, and even our modern outrage culture itself, and what all these different things say about the psychology of American culture. Yet again, we're trying to give you the forgotten histories of our most important delusions, what they mean, and sometimes the dire impacts they have. Our whole team is so excited to come back for our Season 3 as an independent podcast. And this season's going to be a real one, y'all. So make sure you listen this Monday, February 17th, for our Season 3 premiere, wherever you get your podcasts. Until then, I hope you have a great week.
3: Drifting into the night... This is Jim Perry. You are listening to Night Drift, presented by Ufamet.
0: We are back here on Night Drift tonight, and we're talking about Close Encounters. This time, Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind. Now, Andre, I think it would be really interesting to actually just get some insight on how one actually does this.
4: Mm -hmm. Um, So there are a kind of set of protocols that you can follow. um, And that's kind of how I got into it. Um, It's really pretty simple. Once you wrap your head around the idea that um, consciousness itself is not bound by space or time and that, through the field of consciousness, we have the ability to connect um, to any other place or time or um, being. And so the basis for the CE5 initiative um, and kind of the fundamental protocol is that you put yourself into um, a coherent state of mind. So having some kind of regular meditation Um, practice actually helps a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, whatever kind of meditation method works for you will work for CE5 as well. So, um, as, uh, there are a couple of different ways that you can connect with the ETs, um, and, and where CE5s have been initiated, um, using, the, the protocols I set out by C SETI, the center for the study of extraterrestrial intelligence. Um, we use thought, um, and we can also use sound, um, like the tones that, uh, Jen mentioned earlier. Mm. Um, and we can also use light. Um, so like coherent light is a laser. So you can use, a um, some kind of high powered laser or a flashlight even, um, if you uh, just, you know, making sure that you're safe not to point a laser at any moving objects, because we don't, we, you know, we can't be too certain and we don't want to um, shine anything in the lights of a, of a, a plane pilot or anything like that. Um, but so the the process is basically, you can, you can do it anywhere. Um, even if it's uh, rainy or cloudy outside, you can uh, meditate indoors and go through the CE5 process where you go into a deep state of mind and gently you become aware of the universality of awareness itself. And, um, from that place, from that deep, um, expanded state, you, um, go through this process of what's called coherent thought sequencing, where you, um, basically you're like trying to give directions to, um, um, an extraterrestrial, uh, being or uh, a craft or something to um, and, and get literally to your directions, yeah, yeah.
0: Di- directions to a location.
4: Yeah, so you imagine where you are, and then kind of, kind of, kind of like Google Earth, where you kind of just zoom out from your location and see yourself on the planet, yes. see the planet, and then see the solar system. And it's kind of a, an imagery practice where you're kind of visualizing what's going on. Um, and as you kind of do it more and more. Um, it becomes more seamless. Um, so it kind of can take some practice to kind of go through the process. And a lot of the time when we're doing this in a group, we kind of just sit out for a while um, out under the stars in, in an open area where we can see the the, um, the sky clearly. Um, and we'll do this together as a group where we'll just meditate, go through this coherent thought sequencing process of zooming out into deep space and imagining ourselves out there um, and having just this gentle um, intention to connect with any extraterrestrial uh civilization or or being or craft um that would be willing to interact with us um for the purpose of establishing diplomatic ties um establishing some kind of um connection and uh with the purpose um and the grounding um, in universal peace and uh and in working together um, at this time, to do what we can to kind of upgrade human consciousness and um bring us into a place where we 'll be on um in a in a better place to connect with with extraterrestrials in the future from now like in in decades and centuries right mm.
0: it's almost re remembering right if I can add an extra r on uh, or uh, extra re on there it's <sighs> you know it's embracing something that mystics and cities have sort of proliferated amongst their own communities. And sometimes within the shadow of night, sometimes, you know, uh, within the shadows themselves. And now this is essentially sort of an access point or a key to unlocking foundational communication with extraterrestrials that I feel had been lost at, at least by the general public yeah yeah are, are we seeing a situation now with the proliferation of for example Greer's work being the number one documentary on iTunes right now i think that's probably correct i'm i'm guessing <laughs> i'm guessing it is um are, are we seeing it now being accepted within a mainstream especially in terms of the coordinated push of 2017's postmodern sort of, if not disclosure, confirmation of our relationship, our, you know, alleged relationship with extraterrestrials as a threat. Are we now seeing sort of this perfect moment in time in in modern history where the pieces are in place finally for us to adopt these tactics as a community at large?
4: Definitely, yes. I think um, now is the time. Um, and yeah, the documentary, as, as far as I know, it's a, it would be number one in the documentary, um, category anyway. Um, I know a lot of people are at home watching things online, um, these days. So, um, it's, it's a, it's a great opportunity for more people to discover this avenue of, um, of something that you can do, um, to really build, a, a massive bridge, the 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 biggest bridge that we can build um, from planet to planet um, from star system to star system. As you said, uh, this has been, this, these kinds of abilities are, are foundational and they're, they're there in all kinds of esoteric and spiritual traditions, the yogis and the mystics and the shamans, they, they all have practiced these abilities to remotely perceive things and to remotely communicate with, with people at a distance. Um, and this is just an extension of those same abilities and more and more people at this time, actually, you know, just in the last few decades, you know, with the proliferation of spiritual practices and, um, and techniques for, um, kind of approaching spirituality and maybe a a non fundamentalist way. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, shamans in the in South America are really opening up and sharing, their knowledge. Now Um, uh, these um, circles that have been practicing meditation for a long time in India, the, the yogis, they've been sharing a lot of their insights and just everything, you know, a lot of the stuff that has been kind of kept in a sealed box for a long time has been opened up recently. And this, um, I think there's a lot of um, coinciding uh, journeys happening right now, where um, we're, we're at a moment where it's a lot can happen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it certainly feels that way. I mean, I know that's a point that Jennifer and I have talked about a lot, just as friends, this convergence point, seemingly. And Jen, I want to bring you into the conversation because what's interesting about where this is going is I wonder if there's a relationship or a connection between these altered states that we can find ourselves in through practices like even spirit medicine, right? Are these shamanic states that we enter into, these hollowed, respected, very profound states through ayahuasca, for example, where folks do meet seemingly extraterrestrial beings, is there a relationship between the extra, extraterrestrials that we are meeting within space time and these that we're meeting within these shamanic states.
1: I definitely believe there's a relationship. Um, Having worked with the medicine now for almost seven years and been through a lot of journeys with a lot of different people, all walks of life, all ages, different cultures, backgrounds, the archetypal, uh, presentations that happen in these states are so similar people are seeing praying mantis people are seeing the grace people are seeing blue beings they are tapping into the well of i think partially the collective consciousness but that zeitgeist is there because these are beings and spirits that have been around for time immemorial you know and it in these shamanic spaces and in these medicine spaces, it is very similar to what Dr. Greer says actually about how ETs are benevolent and they're there to help us because a lot of the ways things will come up in ceremony is there'll be contact to help. There's there's a type of journey called psychic surgery. So you'll see you know, a part of yourself that's wounded or needs help and you'll have an experience with an ET or interdimensional, however you want to call that. The appearance in that space and they only want to help. So what's interesting is that, you know, circling back to what Andre said about the fear factor and kind of training the mind not to be afraid, in these altered states of consciousness, you're less afraid because it's more like being in a dream. So it almost feels like an initiation to when you're able to see it in the 3D reality that you can actually not be as in fear.
0: Interesting. So, I think what you're suggesting is that perhaps it's a way for people to train themselves or at least be more familiar in a space with other beings that they can hopefully communicate a little bit more progressively
1: totally and i think yoderowski had the quote and if it, if it's not him i'm paraphrasing but you know someone who has been an explorer of consciousness and through meditation uh, and theogenic plants, different, different realms of accessing techno- uh, consciousness of the technology, I guess you could say. Yodorowsky um, had this quote where psychedelics are the elevator up, but you should take the stairs the rest of the way down.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> so that's where I think having meditation practice, having coherence with a group, Having This is why in the Buddhist tradition, having your sangha is so important because you want to have a grounded approach as you're accessing higher realms. And I'm an advocate of plant medicine, especially for healing trauma and getting through depression, but I don't. I think it also can be a crutch for some. So if you take the elevator up, definitely take the, the, the stairs down.
0: Andre, do you think there, I don't know, in your experience – is there is there something else to see five's relationship to other altered states? And is meditation just one tool or fre- frequency or technique to establish contacts with others?
4: Yes. Um, so meditation is kind of the, I think it's the basic tool that we have. And it's something that is like, it, like a practice, you know, it's, it's the stairs that we can use to, to get where we're going. Um, and it's something to return to. Um, but, you know, the more that you do it, the more you kind of shift your regular state of being, your just everyday waking state into one which can tap into things more easily anyway. So you can actually, um, you know, you don't need the meditation in order to um, have some really profound contact even. Um, and it could happen in the dream state um, and it could happen in, in all different manner of ways. And, and, and CE five, you know, a lot of stuff comes up. We don't just, you know, our primary purpose for being out there is to make this connection with extraterrestrial beings um, who are, you know, who can in some way um, act as a reflection of ourselves. We can see them ourselves in them because they are also a weight conscious, biological beings
3: mm-hmm. um
4: and they have technology and you know um but you know but there are all kinds of other layers of consciousness and layers of um intelligent um existence in the universe as uh you know you cover a lot in in your podcast um that you know and when we're out in the field doing CE5 some you know we we also open ourselves up just in general to have a, a deep spiritual experience so um, uh other stuff comes out as well i mean we we connect with um with nature beings um and with ascended masters and with wow. um with with angels and like there's kind of this convergence that happens a lot of the time this this kind of gathering especially sure. when when we're out with a big group and we can have kind of a more magnified effect um, th- there is this sense that we're we're having we're doing work which is really ancient and grounded and not um and kind of transcends um, a lot of the language we have going into it, <laughs> and even right. our ability to describe what happens um, while we're going through this process. And um, it's kind of a re-education and um, a relearning. Um, and well, yeah, it's I, powerful. I tell
0: you what, I tell you what resonates with me when you mentioned separation, mm. and what I think resonated with me is. CE5 seems to be an incredible gateway to connection in all different kinds. And what I like about it is it does not separate itself seemingly from the myriad of supernatural, esoteric, paranormal, even at its root folkloric connection to other energies and beings that is seemingly such a profound version of our story as human Mm -hmm. beings and our connection with something else. And I think that's why I really appreciate you coming on and just helping us understand a little bit more about this technique and in the way that people that are curious about potentially opening that, that door. Now, one of the things I will say is that as someone who trounces around the world and a lot of different paranormal experiences, you know, one foot in, one foot out, You know, keep yourself very grounded if you're looking to uh, participate in this. And I'll tell you my honest truth, I'm more compelled to become a participant, you know. I guess, you know, I'll have to make some decisions about my journalistic integrity when I get to that point. But I'm more compelled to use this as an entry point into helping understand to connect with these forces and energies that seemingly are trying to connect with me through these stories through this process right so again is you know this a technique that is open source to the rest of the esoteric i really think it is i think you know <laughs> there's something so sincere about the participants and the community involved in this and i think that shows through your work in ambassadors of hope A very sophisticated, I don't know, (laughs) tastefully produced podcast, which, you know, I (laughs) appreciate. So I want to thank you, Andre. You know, there's so much more that I'd like to cover with you. And so as I continue doing these night drifts, I'd love to have you back on. And of course, Jennifer, you know that you'll be back on because we have so much brewing together that we can't even share. So I want to thank you guys both for coming on.
4: Thank you very much. It's really been a pleasure to connect with both of you. You can find all of the work that I'm putting out in relation to CE5 at ce5podcast.com. That's all just one word, ce5podcast.com. I've got, um, yeah, as I said, it's a podcast, so you can listen on any podcast player. If you search for, I think you can find it if you search for CE5 podcast or ambassadors of hope. And I'm also on YouTube and, um, I'm just pumping out as much as I can. It's, it's hard work, um, creating content as you know. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, I appreciate the, uh, uh, the acknowledgement I, I have been trying to do something that's very coherent and, um, easy for people to listen to and understand and, um, try to put some level of respectability to it. I know, I mean, it, you do have to be skeptical when you go into something like this. So always keep your wits about you. <laughs>
0: That's right. One one foot in, one foot out.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: So
1: you can follow up with me at jennifersodini.com. It's spelled J E N N I F E R S O D I N I.com. <laughs> um, my online magazine, Exploring Ancient Wisdom in the Modern World, is evolveandascend.com. My oracle deck is menti oracle.com. And my podcast is Radio Women.
0: Thank you for listening to this edition of Night Drift, presented by Euphomet. Thank you to our guests, Jennifer Sodini and Andre Cardoso, as well as our sponsors, Spotify and Anchor. For everything Euphomet, including how you can subscribe to the show, links to our Patreon and social media, visit ufamet.com we'll be back shortly with a new episode of ufamet and more night drift please catch me on coast to coast am live this weekend with richard serrett saturday the 25th thank you for listening this is jim perry and until next time